My name is Ashley, and this is Let's Talk Dispatch. You're going to do it. Do it really well. And I believe the world needs more dispatchers. So on this show, with the help of my guests, we will educate, empower, and support the heroes behind the headset. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode here. Let's talk dispatch with me, Ashley, the Raspy Dispatcher. Thank you all so much for joining us today. Um, And today we're going to be talking about what the secret is to hiring and retaining quality 911 operators and dispatchers. As you all know, if you've been following me on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, socials, this podcast, um, the world needs more dispatchers, the world needs more officers, firefighters, etc., first responders in general. So it is definitely a big goal of mine to help folks, especially aspiring dispatchers, through the application process and into these seats and these comm centers, um, ultimately reducing that mandatory overtime and the stress that we feel in our comm centers when we're understaffed. My guest today, Christian, he is a retired New York Police Department captain. He is a creator of 104 Consulting, and he is here to talk about this his experience in emergency services from their career as a police officer to leading the department's radio communication division as a captain, and hopefully share a little bit of the secret sauce of how to get and keep dispatchers in these centers. Hi, Christian. How are you? Good, Ashley. How are you? I am doing well. It's a little busy on my day off, and I've, I've honestly been working a lot of overtime this week. So um, I think this is a very appropriate conversation to talk about uh, when we're talking about staffing our centers. Okay, great. Thank you so much for having me on your show today. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about you know your career, how you got in law enforcement, how you ended up in your uh, department's comm center. Sure. So I... Um... Started in the NYPD in 1998 as a uh, police officer, and I started out on patrol and worked in many different details. And throughout my career, I worked in internal affairs. And um, then as a captain, I realized that precinct life was not for me. Mm. And somebody that I worked for um, worked, he oversaw NYPD's 911 division, mm. and he asked me to go there and let me tell you, Ashley, I just loved it. There was just <laughs> nothing like it in the department. The people, um, the culture, the structure. It was just very different from from working with cops day in and day out. Mm. And from there, I, I um, was very blessed. I, I um, My career got elevated, and I was able to oversee the department's um, radio division. Mm-hmm. And, of course, working in hand with 911 and... Um, I ended my career working in the Department's Information Technology Bureau mm-hmm. and retired uh, almost a year ago. Awesome. Congrats. Thank well you. Deserved. Thank you. <laughs> well, that sounds amazing. You know, I always find it um, interesting how uh, departments kind of structure inside of comm centers. For example, my first department, we had a um, – Originally, we had, I believe, a ca- some like a captain that was in-house, um, and then it kind of went away from that to a director, a comm director, who wasn't sworn. And I think now they're kind of back at my original agency to a sworn person kind of running it. 
Uh, my current agency, we don't have a sworn in-house, um, but we're much smaller. But I definitely do see the value of having sworn, you know, in in the actual center instead of act, having to call up when things start popping off, especially at a place like the New York Police Department. I, I would imagine it's a constant out there. Um, it is a constant. And, and um, you know, while there are captains there and, and a uniform presence, the, the people who work 911, the dispatchers, you know, and they're, of course, elevated and promoted. They, they really run the show there. You know, they, mm-hmm. they have all the knowledge and, you know, they, they make everything happen. Um, but working there made me realize how, first, the value that dispatchers and operators bring to law enforcement. Mm-hmm. And in retiring and creating my company, 10-4 Consulting, my goal is to, um, well, I have many goals, to help mm-hmm. the people in that industry, but mm-hmm. to bring dispatchers and operators to the forefront, to the law enforcement community, and make law enforcement leaders recognize, you know, what what dispatchers are doing and, and how vital they are and that they are our partners in law enforcement. And I'm trying very hard to use my status, if you will, as a mm-hmm. captain in the NYPD to have that conversation with people and get them the recognition that they deserve. Mm-hmm. So, so true. And I mean, I would say, and I think for, you know, folks who are in this line of work and uh, folks who have worked patrol versus dispatch, the relationship between patrol and dispatch can be a little strange, right? Because I think a lot of it comes from um, each other not understanding the other's job. Right, absolutely. Um, How would you say that relationship between patrol has shifted over the years that you've been, because you've been in it, and then you became a leader in it, and then you, you're a leader on the side of the comm center side, dispatch side. How would you say that's changed over the years? Well, I think you make a, a great point. You know, both sides, patrol and, and dispatch, you know, and operators as well, they have their own set of procedures. Mm-hmm. And at a point, we... I think that we really started to make a difference in, in building that bridge. We, we mm-hmm. brought so many cops, as many cops as we can to the comm center. Mm-hmm. We, did, we had dispatchers do ride-alongs too. Mm-hmm. But of course, uh, many years ago, things changed and um, it was not safe to for ride-alongs anymore. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the cops were understaffed and they couldn't come out to the comm center anymore. So mm-hmm. that kind of broke but I think that it's very important for uh, communications leaders, right? 911 leaders, directors, mm-hmm. what have you. They must have a seat at the table in, um, you know, in law enforcement and creating strategies, crime mm-hmm. fighting strategies, counterterrorism strategies, active shooter strategies. They have to be there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes there would be issues in the department and, and we would get called and they say, okay, we need you to do this, this, and this. Okay. Well, when do you need a buddy? Well, tomorrow, we're going to start this tomorrow, you know, and that's mm-hmm. unacceptable. Right. Yeah. Um, but nationwide um, directors, they, they need to, to communicate that, you know, listen, I, I got to be there. We have to be at, at that table on day one. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's very true because what I've, I've seen, you know, is that, Dispatch historically has been left out of those conversations, right? This is our game plan, let's say, for an active shooter, because I would say that is probably dispatch's worst call to take right now, especially like a school shooting or something like that. Um, 
And, you know, we hear about our officers training for it, our um, command staff having a, you know, uh, a to-do list, a game plan. But then, like, dispatch kind of gets left out of it. And it's like, well, the first one to sound the alarm is, is going to be us. It's going to be the dispatcher who takes the call. So we're, if we're left out of that conversation, that training, really, um, there's definitely a hole in that emergency response that forms, right? Yeah, Ashley, you know, um, I'm, you know, you're making a great point. And if there is a police chief, captain, major, sheriff, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. and they're doing active shooter training in a school and dispatches aren't included, uh, you know, I'll be very blunt. They are derelict in their duty, right? Mm-hmm. They owe it to the public. They owe it to their officers and they owe it to the dispatchers to have them there on day one um, and so that everybody drives and that everybody's on the same page and there's no surprises. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that is something that, you know, they, they must do in, the, in their leadership capacity. They, they must ensure that dispatch has a seat at the table. Great. It's so true. And it's, and I think one thing that I think is speaking volumes, you know, from me hearing it coming from you, <clears throat> excuse me, is because you were, like you said, your status, like you were a patrol, you know, you were, you were one of the folks boots on the ground. You did the stuff. It's not just a dispatcher coming and going, no, we need to be involved. It's like, you are someone who was in it on that side, who sees that value is trying to bring everybody into the fold together. And I think sometimes in this line of work and law enforcement in general, you kind of need that a little bit to break, break those windows, those barriers, et cetera to get everybody on the same page. So I definitely think what you're doing is wonderful. Oh, thank you. You know, I, I think that 911 is so unique. And unless you, again, back to the law enforcement leadership, unless you're sitting in that PSAP, right, when people are calling out sick, when, you know, when stuff is happening, when the board is turning red and you're holding calls, unless you are truly invested in that and your, your ass is on the line, you don't know what goes on there, right? Mm-hmm. And making a visit there at Thanksgiving and Christmas doesn't cut it, mm. yeah. right? Yeah, it, it needs to be a, a constant flow of communication and working together as a team. Definitely, definitely. It's kind of what's that uh, that meme that goes around a lot? Like, oh, you're burnt out, you're overworked, and management's like pizza party, right? <laughs> like. <laughs> You know, like, no, no, it needs to be more than just more uh, than just a pizza party, right? Yeah, it, it definitely needs to be more than a pizza party. Um, <laughs> I hope we could get into that further, 100%. Yeah. That's really well, funny. <laughs> what was your favorite part of overseeing the radio communications division? Before we continue, we wanted to take a moment to thank our partners at Prepared. You can learn more about the awesome support and technology Prepared provides to first responders by heading to prepared911.com. Partners like Prepared help to continue our mission of supporting, empowering, and educating the heroes under the headset. You can learn more about our resources and partnerships by heading to theraspydispatcher.com. Now let's get back to the show. Um, so just to make a distinction, 911 and radio were two different um, 
entities, right? They're, they're like sister commands, but they're two different entities. Um, overseeing radio, I learned so much about radio and um, just we talk about dispatches. Let's talk about radio technicians too, the magic that they make happen yeah. to make the radio mm -hmm. network uh, actually work and function, right? So that cops mm -hmm. can use it and dispatchers can use it, can use it without lapses in communication. Mm -hmm. um, what I liked most was um, implementing change and um, effectively, you know, serving the people that worked with me and the police officers in the department, um, you know, giving them a reliable radio network and mm -hmm. um, just creating a, 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 a very structured work environment. That was my favorite part. And the people, I, I love the mm -hmm. people there. Awesome. So, so you got to be honest with us. Were, were you a mic eater when you were on patrol? Did you have to get 10-9'd a lot and have to repeat? Uh, or? No. <laughs> no, I, I, I definitely was not that person. I just always <laughs> had so much respect for Thatcher and, and when I would like, I used to like to give speeches to cops who were in police academy mm -hmm. and, and mm -hmm. try to school them on etiquette when speaking to a dispatcher. You know, the dispatcher has so much going on. You know, they don't have time for, for the games and the, the phone calls and, um, you know, calling back complainants, all this other nonsense. The, the cops have to, you know, do their job, right? You have to get out of the mm -hmm. police car, you listen. Now everything is on the phone too. You can read it. So I was very uh, respectful of the dispatchers always. <laughs> Awesome. And I know it's so it's so interesting, I think, for folks who are, you know, not in and not in the field and are just getting into the field. And even for me, I went from a larger agency where we had a warrant channel and my my job when I was working radio, I didn't run out folks like that. They went to a separate channel that we had 24 seven to do that. Now I'm at a smaller agency where I'm running people out. I'm doing the warrants, uh, you know, um, looking at the photos, doing all the research that my warrants channel did at my last agency. So when you speak about like the dispatcher got a lot going on, like they really do. Like there's just so many things that could be happening, especially at the smaller agencies, including like it's just me and my partner in here and the phones are going off. You know, there's a fire and then. You know, you're asking me to run out five people in a car and it's like, read the room. We, we, we don't got time for this right now. Right. Um, but I mean, again, that goes back to the, you know, you build the relationships, you have the conversations outside of the, the pizza parties uh, to be able to understand everyone's role and, and what it looks like on the other side of the radio versus our side of the radio. Right. And I would say the same is for like officers too. Like they're out there with five people, you know, they're on high alert, right? You know, and they want the information back for their officer safety stuff. And so it's all about us working together to, to understand all the stressors that these jobs have for us because they are certainly unique in that sense. Yes, absolutely. So what made you start 10-4 Consulting? Like what, what brought all that about? So I wanted to continue a career in public service, and I just always felt that uh, dispatchers were given the short end of the stick, and hearing stories from across the country and across New York State about the woes in dispatch centers and um, agencies' problems to recruit and retain dispatchers, I felt that I could make a difference in that part of the industry. 
I had I had lots of experience doing that uh, on the dispatch side and on the radio side. And my goal was just to to help agencies. But in helping agencies, you're really helping the dispatchers, right? By hiring people, mm-hmm. you're giving them their lives back and uh, you're cutting back on their overtime and, and you're making their work life better. And so that's my goal is for dispatchers to have an improved quality of life at work. Mm. So what is the secret sauce? What What is it that you believe um, to help folks with, to, to, to help teach people about, to get, get dispatchers in the door and keep them there? So there, there's many things. The first thing I think to retaining employees is engaging with your employees and, and speaking to them like they're people, right? And mm-hmm. listening to them, listen, you know, I don't mean like hearing them. I mean like sitting with them and talking to them and listening to them, listening, listening about their lives and their work life and figuring out how, how can I make their life better? What resources can I, can I give them? A leader's job is to provide resources to, to help their employees. So I think employee engagement is the first thing, listening to, your employees and actually doing something about it not taking two months to put in a committee and and discuss it. You know, if you're a leader, you know, Mm -hmm. you've got the power to, to make things happen like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's a matter of, you know, delivering on their needs and having them trust you saying things to them that are true and Mm -hmm. being fair, you know, having a workplace that is full of fairness and justice. So, you know, when people want promotions, they want to elevate their their career, they want to go to a specialized unit, that they're able to say, if they didn't get the position, that you know something, he or she, you know, I'm disappointed I didn't get it, but he or she, I, I know that they're fair and they had their reasons, instead of the resentment, all oh, this place is BS and, and that type of thing. So um, having a, a fair workplace um, with communication too, you know, communicating matters to employees, telling them why we can or cannot do something. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the leader needs to speak on these things. They can't just delegate people to do things for them all the time. They need to, to uh, address people face to face. And how would you say, um, cause I would say that historically, and if you go onto these Facebook groups and um, you know, you get a little, peek behind the curtain, I would say there is a bit of toxicity that still remains in a lot of our centers. And I mean, I think that could be owed to like our, the low staffing, low morale, um, you know, things of that nature. Um, how would you speak to the leaders in these centers to be able to turn that around if the, when they're trying to really rewrite the, the culture in these centers, right? So, I think when there's toxicity in the workplace, whether it's 911 or someplace else, you know, the leader's role is critical. Mm-hmm. The, the tone that they set, what they allow to go on, mm-hmm. it, it all comes down to them. If they're going to tolerate the nastiness, the, the gossip, mm-hmm. uh, people getting over, um, then their managers aren't going to work for them the right, the way that they should be working for them. And leaders need to seek these people out. They need to have a discussion with them and, and ascertain why they're acting that way and give them an opportunity to change. And if they don't change, they need to um, 
get aggressive, let's say, mm -hmm. okay? And when pe these toxic people are allowed to carry on like that, it's just, you know, it, it hurts all the good people. It, it, mm -hmm. I don't know if you ever heard the expression, we reward, um, we punish competency and we, we reward incompetency. Mm -hmm. yeah. So these bad people, we don't want to hear them complain, so we, so we elevate them. But mm -hmm. um, I, I think it, and it's also a matter of the leader um, listening to, to what is actually happening and accepting that truth that things are not going as well as they think they might be going. So mm -hmm. that leader really needs to be plugged in to, to what's going on. Yeah, I definitely agree that, you know, leadership in our centers, um, especially uh, a strong leader that's going back and forth between the patrol side and the, the center side, you know, however the center uh, split up at your department, um, because sometimes there is that breaking communication that happens. Um, I know at my larger agency, sometimes there'd be a big thing that they're working, like say a sideshow came through and they heard about it and they want another channel staffed. And then they just kind of show up the day of like, Hey, you got some dispatchers for us? And it's like, no, no, right. no, we do not. <laughs> because, you know, six people called out this person. Be, and so sometimes there's definitely this disconnect between, and I think leaders in these centers, like they're big in making sure there's no, there's no failure in that communication between both sides or, maybe better yet said is strengthening that communication so it doesn't falter. And, and I think the communication has to be very strong too, between the leader and, and supervisors, you know, managers, mm -hmm. frontline supervisors, assistant directors, whatever you want to call it. They mm -hmm. all have to be on the same page. And like a lot of workplaces too, they have these silos, like this unit doesn't know what that unit's doing. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, dispatch they always get screwed and they're always the last people to hear of anything and they have no input and that's unacceptable yeah Dis dispatchers the people actually doing the work they have to be involved in these new procedures processes on, on day one right mm -hmm. when we we talk about patrol and and communications working together how about we work together without dispatchers who are actually doing the work mm -hmm. so true so what what services does 10-4 Consulting provide and what does it look like for an apartment to hire you and work with you to help them with this retention and, and keeping dispatchers and operators in their seats? Sure. So 10-4 uh, Consulting focuses on, of course, recruitment and retention of dispatchers and operators, performance metrics, um, 911 and radio operations, leadership development, and I also do um, work as an IT vendor liaison as well. But performance metrics and uh, management development, those are all part of recruitment and retention. About 35% of people who leave companies leave because they have a, a manager that they don't like. Um, so performance metrics as well. If people know how to do their job, if there's clear communication of what the goals are and they're given the tools to do it, they will stay. Um, in terms of recruitment, there's two questions that I always ask everybody. Um, the first question is, why do I want to join your agency? And the mm -hmm. second question is, okay, you know, you've had 20%, you've had 20 dispatchers leave. Why did they leave? And what have you done to change things since they left? 
Mm. And if the answer is, oh, you know, I don't really know why they left and we haven't really changed anything, then there's no point in recruiting anybody because you're just going to go around in the same circle. Mm. Um, So I would work with an agency over a a six-month period of time, anywhere in the country, me and my team. uh, Mm. We would visit there, spend weeks there, form a really strong relationship uh, with the upper management team and with their dispatchers as well, building mm-hmm. trust between dispatchers and management and new hires, new new candidates, and the agency that they're going to work with. Uh, so I want to make sure, Ashley, that I'm going to work with somebody that I like, that I can spend mm-hmm. lots of time with and, and talk to, <laughs> and that somebody is going to hire me that likes me too, because we're going to be spending a lot of time together. Yeah, and and more importantly, you're you're essentially asking them to be vulnerable and to make this huge change, right? Yes. That's that's so, the word actually. It's, I'm sorry, you had No, please. Yeah, go ahead. The word is vulnerable. You you hit mm-hmm. it. And if you're a leader in 911, you know, you're it, everybody's looking up to you. It's very difficult to to say, you know, something we have a we have a problem here. I need somebody to help me and I'm going to expose myself and be vulnerable and allow somebody into, to, to reveal deficiencies mm-hmm. under my leadership. That's what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a very tough thing uh, for somebody to do, but, but in the end, again, it's all about the dispatchers, right? It's all about mm-hmm. your staff you care about your staff. If you ca- if you really care about these people not coming in on their days off and not doing 16 hour days, you need to, change things. You need an unbiased view of things. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to move in a new direction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I would say that change in this field is slow coming in general. And it's even slower when leaders in these positions are not admitting that change needs to happen. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, absolutely. <laughs> we, we, we hate change, right, Ashley? Despite oh, gosh. We, mm. we, just hate it. It's the worst thing in the world. Oh my gosh, it really is. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I interviewed a dispatcher who was, they, they had been doing this for 25 years. And she said that when she started, they did it on Excel spreadsheets. And then CAD came in and they were like, threw their arms up. They're like, this, I'm not doing this. This isn't going to work. And I was just sitting there like, Excel spreadsheets. I would never do this job on an Excel spreadsheet. But we hate change, right? right. So that Excel spreadsheet yes. was like gold back then. For me, I'm like, oh, it's crazy. I would never. Not on an Excel spreadsheet. And, and you know, if you're a leader and, and you know, you've lost 20% of your staff, that's a, you know, that's something that, that hurts you. You know, it's not like, hey, you know, I just took over and we lost 20%. Of, we lost 20% of every yeah. 20 people quit, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, and, and you just, you just need to take things in a, in a, in a new direction. Mm. Do you suggest for folks um, in centers and departments to conduct like the exit interviews or 360 reviews or things like that upon folks exiting, or how would you suggest people start gathering these, this information as they're hopefully preparing to bring your company in to work with them to help fix this problem? So uh, a couple of things. I think that the exit interviews are, are, could be a valuable tool. It depends on who's doing the exit interview. Is it somebody that 
people is it somebody that they don't want to speak to that they know they're just going through the motion and, and checking the boxes mm. um the the other thing is i i think that leaders need to, to sit with people and, and find out, you know, what's what's the word on the street? You know, why mm-hmm. did these people leave? And it quite possibly be that the answer they get from actually sitting at somebody's console and talking to them and relating on their exit interviews, because, you know, they don't trust the agency. If they have all that resentment, they just want to, you know, get out of there and, and never look back. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's the answer to that. Definitely. So when, when someone brings you in and you're, you're mm-hmm. consulting with them and uh, kind of what's the, the first couple steps that you're taking with them to get that ball rolling, to build that trust, um, you know, to start implementing changes, what does that look like? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, thank you. So the first part is looking at their online presence at mm. their job description, job posting, speaking to who is doing the hiring, um, looking at an organizational chart and seeing, you know, who who is in charge of all these various units and subunits, who are the players at, um, mm. at the top of the leadership pyramid, so to speak. Um, getting to know who these people are, um, and then actually visiting the center and, and speaking with the, um, the dispatchers. And, and let me tell you, Ashley, when you speak to people and, and, you know, I ask these questions, why do I want to work in your agency? What changes have you made? Within a five-minute conversation, you can come up with a handful of reasons of why people are leaving. And then on mm-hmm. top of that, when you look at social media presence on, on Facebook, on Instagram, on um on you know LinkedIn, whatever the case, you further see more cracks in the foundation of of what's wrong and why people don't want to stay and and mm. people's perceptions of the agency, why they can't hire anybody and what needs to change. When you speak about online presence, I, I just want to highlight that because I really think it's such an important new tool that I think law enforcement is kind of finally slowly starting to get on board with these reels and, you know, TikToks and posting on Instagram, being a little more transparent and a little more uh, human, right? Because I think uh, historically we've been very rigid in law enforcement, especially policing. And now, you know, we got, you know, cops pretending to chase donuts down the street on Instagram and, you know, and we're, we're we're letting folks be a little more human in this line of work uh, for the public, which is amazing. Um, So I definitely think law enforcement in general needs to home that online presence. And I think for me, even more importantly, if you have a social media team and your dispatch is not a part of it, you're missing out on a great opportunity to have someone in the center be able to post when things are happening, right when they're happening. Because if you're out there dealing with the in-progress incident and, you know, you got to notify a social media person when the dispatch is in there working it as well, and they can put that information out just as well as anyone else can. I think dispatch could be vital in these social media teams as well. Absolutely. You know, so, so part of 
working with an agency is to engage your employees, right? And how do you engage employees besides myself and my team doing it? The leader has to engage their employees. They have to have their employees through their social media, do their marketing, do their graphics and, and get them more involved in the agency so that they're more committed to the organization's goals. They're involved, they're plugged in and that they feel like, hey, you know, I'm not just just the body in the seats taking phone calls, you know, these people, they're, they're counting on me to do, to do more than that. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in the network with the big guys or gals mm-hmm. um, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, these things are not full-time jobs and it's just a mm-hmm. nice breakaway for people to have from dispatching or taking calls or what have you. Mm-hmm. It, it, it truly is. I think it definitely, right. Cause the job's hard enough. So right. When you get a break, from the, the the constant calls or this or that, and you get to go do this thing with the social media team or go out to a, a recruiting booth. You know, I think I've been seeing yeah. a lot more um, departments utilizing their dispatches and bringing them out to those booths alongside with the patrol uh, to get them involved in that in-person boots on the ground recruiting that's happening at fairs and malls and schools and et cetera. You know, dispatch is vital there too. Right. So, you know, I'm very big on, on people going to community events, city hall meetings mm-hmm. and, and things like that. You know, leaders have to sell their their staff. But I, I just want to touch upon when you say, you know, bring, bring recruiters out. I, I think another thing is, okay, so who's, who's recruiting for your agency, right? Mm-hmm. Is it this person has to have an intimate knowledge of the hiring process, testing process, onboarding process. Mm-hmm. So agencies need to be a little, they need to be a little cautious who they're sending out there because we don't mm-hmm. want somebody to, to ask questions and they don't know the answer. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're recruiting, what you're doing is you are, you're the recruiter, you're meeting somebody. In that first conversation, you are establishing trust with the, the candidate, right? They need to know mm-hmm. that, that this person isn't BSing me, that they know what's going to happen to me as I apply and get hired. And that trust will carry on through in the agency and they will want to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, in terms, there needs to be a, a clear delineation. I don't know if that's a word. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, hey, I wasn't going to Google it. <laughs> there needs to be a clear line of, okay, are we reach are we doing community outreach or are we recruiting and you can have a recruitment mm-hmm. team of people but they have to know the, the full story mm-hmm. to to be an effective recruiter so true and they have to have the right personality too mm-hmm. you know, I, I, um job fairs and i see some of these recruiters i'm like you know not just for 911 but for um private agencies too and I can't believe what they, these companies send, like people there, they're like this, they're bored. You talk to them, they, they're so uninterested. Mm-hmm. And at, you know, like 911 conferences to these tech companies that go there, vendors at the vendor circles, some of these people, they have like no personality. Like, I can't believe some <laughs> of these companies, like don't these leaders know what, what's going on? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's so true because I went to my first, I went to my first dispatch conference this August, 
couple months ago. And yeah, I did experience like walking around like this huge vendor hall. And I was like, oh, some of these people I don't want to walk up to. And I like to think I got a good personality where oh, I can talk to And I was like, oh, I'm good. I'm just going to keep walking. So um, yeah, it's true. I mean, half half the battle I think in recruiting is is wanting to go work for that play. Like I played college ball and I coached a bit and half of the job right. is recruiting and you're, you're selling a dream, you know, like whatever that Absolutely. dream is. And you, and you don't, and what I, I can say further is that it, it's hard to sell a dream when you know that it's like a garbage trash shoot back there. You know what I mean? So I, I if did. I'm working for if I'm working for a department that isn't making the changes, we lost 20 people and they're sending me out here to recruit. And just because we need bodies, warm bodies in the seat, that's a hard dream to sell, you know, like that's, that's tough. But if I'm working uh, for a department that's using me, I can sell that dream. Like it's, it's, it's a little bit on fire, but we're putting it out. Like we're right. in the process, you know? So you know, like in a department that's lost people, if the leader, the director said to their employees, would you recommend that your friends work here? And they all say no, or 80% of them say no, then, you know, you're in trouble and you need to do something. And, and Ashley, you're 100% right. It is, it's not fair to employees to recruit for a, uh, an agency or any company for that matter. That's, that's a, a building on fire. You know, why would, you know, you're going to, have people quit their job and go through this entire process. That's not the right thing to do. That's why you need to focus on that retention aspect and, and change. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's a big red flag of, for a recruit, for a prospective employee to speak to a recruiter and say, Oh, you know, we're down 20, 20 slots. What is, what does the recruiter say to that? What, what's the script? Yeah. It's true because one of one of the things that uh, for folks who come to me and they're they're at the interview process, they pass like critical or you know whatever pre-employment test that uh, the department's requiring them. I always tell them, you know, I even have like a worksheet like questions to ask your de the department because being understaffed is a thing. I'm not saying only go to go to departments who are fully staffed, um, but I think it's important for candidates to understand what the reality of the department situation they're going into, right? What is your mandatory overtime looking like? You know, what is, you know, um, what are the requirements? What's training going to look like? Am I going to be working graveyard? Am I going to be, you know, like ask those hard questions during this recruitment process because it's important for retention and, you know, and dollars, you know, it's costing money for departments to bring these folks in for them the last two minutes. So it's better for you as a person being recruited to ask these questions and figure out if this is, if you're in a good place in your life with your support system, your situation where you can go through this intense training and end up in a place where there might be a little staffing and a little bit of, of, of mandatory forced overtime and things of that nature. And it's important for departments to be honest as well because we need more dispatches, but we need happy dispatchers too. Like this is our job. It should bring us a little joy with a little bit of stress because you're right. not going to get rid of that. <laughs> uh, yeah. A, a great point. Uh, again, back to trust, you know, it mm -hmm. goes back to trust and, and it goes back to that recruiter knowing what this person is going to face. And, 
uh, presenting a, a truthful scenario. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing, you know, if an agency is down tw- 20 dispatchers, they lost 20% of their staff or whatever, you know, hopefully the recruiter can say, well, you know, um, we've had a change in management. We got rid of some people. We did some new training and, you know, we're really going in a new direction um, because we hired 10 for consulting and they're helping <laughs> us out or whatever the yeah, case. Right? Exactly. Um, and the recruiter has to be able to say that, that they are going in a new direction. They, they cannot lie. It's, mm-hmm. it's unethical. It's not the right mm-hmm. thing to do. And, um, you know, we don't, we don't want to screw up people's lives. Mm-hmm. So. so true. Okay. So to wrap it up, this is a question that I ask everybody. Um, and for you, it's going to be a little different. So what would your advice be to someone coming into this field or um, a leader in these calm centers how they can uh, motivate their people or something that a new person should keep in mind when coming into this field? Okay. I, I think that when people come into this field that um, they should focus on working in an agency that has a, uh, a great leadership team mm-hmm. where people are happy, um, where they embrace change and innovation and in terms of leaders, I think that leaders just need to, you know, strip of, I guess, um, they need to engross themselves with their employees mm-hmm. and they need to leave their ego at the door and to actually listen to what people have to say and and act on that and realize that, you know, listen, it's not all about you, right? Mm-hmm. It's about all of your dispatchers and it's about the public. You're... You in the in the C-suite, you're last. <laughs> and when people are leaving you, because I've seen it throughout my 20-year career, people go from one unit to another and another, mm-hmm. it's that they don't want to work for you. Mm-hmm. You're at the end of the day, you're in charge, and it all starts with you. It starts and ends with with the person on top. Mm-hmm. Very, very true. So how do people find you? Reach out to you, hire you, Tim for Consulting to help solve their staffing issues how do people get in touch with you so i am on linkedin and um they could reach out to me via email at my email is cg at 10 ten dash four consulting.com and you know i've had a a great career ashley and i am more than happy to you know just have a conversation with people um just to give some pointers some guidance or whatever the case uh, you know i dedicated my life to public service and I would like to continue doing that. So uh, if anybody has any questions, they can message me on LinkedIn or send me an email and I'm more than happy to help them in any way I can. Awesome. Well, I'm going to include all your contact info, um, websites, all that good stuff in the information of this uh, episode. Uh, So don't feel like you guys got to write down uh, his contact info. It'll all be there. I really appreciate you coming out, Christian. Oh, thank you, Ash. This was great. Yeah. It's always very refreshing to talk to, you know, folks who are on the police officer side of things and um, that good relationship between police and dispatching, Um, you know, folks like you, you know, FTOs in the field who are training the new officers and who are really pounding that into the the new folks um, really help build the continued relationships between the two. Thank you so much, Ashley. I had a great experience and um, 
you're doing a great service for everybody in the dispatch community too. Oh, thank you so much. All right. I'll be right back with you. Okay. Thank you. All right, everybody. That was another wonderful episode here on Let's Talk Dispatch. My guest, Christian and 10-4 Consulting. Again, all the information for their company and contacts are going to be in the information section of this episode. As you know, in the dispatch world, we do need more dispatchers. And sometimes it is easy to uh, get overwhelmed with that need and there are folks like Christian and 10 Consulting that are out there with the mission to help you sort through that confusion. So definitely hit him up. Like, like he said, he's down to just have a conversation if that is something your center is needing. So until next time, everybody, stay raspy. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Let's Talk Dispatch. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube at The Raspy Dispatcher. Follow us on Instagram and check out Let's Talk Dispatch anywhere you listen to podcasts. I'll see you next time and stay raspy.